Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's one, uh, episode 162, and we're going to be interviewing Jeff B. How you doing, Jeff? I'm blessed. I appreciate you having me, Jim. I appreciate you having me, brother. I'm excited to do this, my man. So let's start. Uh, let's start with your childhood. Tell me about that. Tell me about growing up. Wow. Straight to it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Harlem, New York. Grant Projects. Everybody's heard of the Apollo Theater, famous theater. Um, I grew up in a project's literally right down the block you know so walking up and down the strip of 125th street was like the thing to do when i was like in third fourth grade we just loved it never know who you're gonna see and they they still had all of the vendors lined up on both sh- on both sides of the street so if i wanted a gucci belt and i couldn't buy a real one i could get one for ten dollars <laughs> no. um let's see when I was living in Grant Projects is when the catalyst occurred in my life. Mom's was already getting high, and she abandoned me and my three brothers one day. And what was the neighbors, high on? Uh, back then, it was um, it was coke and heroin, coke and heroin, and um, so we're talking like probably seventy-eight, eighty. So free basin, she was free basin as well. And um, she abandoned me and my brothers because of her addiction, obviously. And my step pops, he came and he was like, what? What's going on? I told him. Now, mind you, this was like a week later and the neighbors were taking care of us. A lot of people in Grant Projects were high. A lot of people were getting high. You had the pimps there. You had the prostitutes there. And it's so, so interesting because even though they lived the lifestyle that they lived, they still cared for the children of the addicts, if that makes sense. Right, just the like pimps, the pimps took yeah. care of the kids. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's just because well, I guess if you're pimp, not all pimps are violent people, you know what I mean? There's that. Well, I have experience with that as well. Yeah, well, I'm sure well, people, it's, it's just, no matter what, just people that are violent, there's people that are not violent, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand why you said that. You know what I mean? For that particular industry right there, that is a mode of management that they use. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I that's it's not a good mode of management, right? But yeah, so the uh the neighbors they were taking care of us because they knew, you know, that my mom was a drug addict. So when my step pops came, uh uh explained the story to him and he was shocked. And um he said, All right, you know, pack your stuff, man. Come on, let's blow this joint. And everybody's packing their stuff, and I'm packing my stuff, and then kind of find out he was not talking about me. He wasn't talking, <laughs> he wasn't talking about me, he was talking about his three children. So he told my three little brothers, pack their stuff up. And he told me, he was like, you chill out. Your moms will be back. Don't worry about it. And he gave me, he gave me booklets of food stamps. So I've, I, I, well, when you think about it, I think that he was coming to drop off the food stamps because he had booklets of food stamps. And he was like, well, don't worry about it. Mind you, he, ne- he didn't know what was going on when he got there. 
by the time they were leaving and he was telling my brothers to pack their stuff up, he now he's like, well, I already spoke to your mom. You know, she's definitely coming to pick you up. That's not a problem. Here's the food stamp. She told me to let you know. And I'm like, dude, um, I told you. I told you, you know, and I was like, and when, when I realized what was going on, my brothers looked at me and I looked at my brothers and I was like, nah, this, this ain't happening. This man is not gonna leave with his children and literally leave a child with food stamps and abandon me but that's what he did right so um i stayed in harlem running up and down from from harlem grant projects uh uh, uh to how did that anybody. feel at that at that moment yeah. were, were you scared what, what were you feeling uh so imagine being abandoned once right <laughs> But at least I got my brothers, you know what I'm saying? And 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 because of the lifestyle that I grew up in, you know, certain things the children uh, uh uh certain things children go through when you when you grow up in an environment like that, that it's just commonplace. Not seeing your parent for a couple of days, no joke. Back then it was commonplace, and it definitely still is now, with you know, how how the uh drug culture is now and how parents are with their children now. You know, a child might not see their parent for a couple of days and they like, oh, well, they're getting high. They're doing dope. So I'm going to stay at my cousin's house or my homeboy house. So, you know, then they see their parents again. So that's how I grew up. You know, I used to have to go see my mother years later and, and literally see, you know, her do her thing because she was um getting high and she wasn't coming around, you know, to see us. And that's how I grew up with my addiction. So when she abandoned us, I had my brothers and they was taking care of us. So my, my attitude was, she'll be back. Dude, I'm like in third, fourth grade, taking my brothers to school, coming back home. You know, everything is regular. Mom's not there. We're doing the same schedule. Mom's not there and the neighbors are just helping out. So when he said that he was taking his children and not me is when I felt I had no value. Some people would be like, well, what? Maybe you could have felt that way when your mom left the first time. But again, because of the lifestyle and me being so young, but being so mature because of the lifestyle, it wasn't personal to me. And it might sound crazy. Nah, nah, nah. Because after that, I uh, 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 spent up, maybe it took me about a week to spend up the food stamps. And that's when I became a thief because I had no food stamps. So I would go and, um, you know, I would play video games. I'd get a, 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 a submarine and a drink and change. I'd play video games. I'd go back upstairs. You know, when the food stamps uh, 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 depleted, then I started stealing for food. My grandmother used to always make me say her phone number because she knew that her children were drug addicts, right? Well, one of them wasn't. But my uncle and my mom were. Six, seven, what? Two, one, two. Six. Two, one, two. Six, seven, eight. Two, three, two, six. I don't even think that number exists anymore. But till this day, I'll never forget it. 212-678-2326 was my grandmother's phone number. And she used to always tell me in case I needed it. And when the food stamps left, I needed her. So I called her. I told her what happened. And her and my, my grandfather came to pick me up. And that, I moved in with them in the Bronx. But directly to answer the question, how did that make me feel? I felt like I had no value when my step pops abandoned me. And again, to clarify, I didn't feel that way when my mom abandoned me because I knew my mom abandoned me because of drugs. And that's what drug addicts do. I understood it when I was that young. And I still have my brothers. And I still had the neighbors who basically were surrogate parents 
even when my mom was around because she was an addict. So I didn't take it personal. It was like, y'all know mama be back. Come on, we going to school, we chilling. But then when their pops said, you know what? Ah, I'm not, I'm not going to take you. And then he lied and, you know, conjured up a story and it made, it made me feel um, worthless, brother. Yeah. It made me feel worthless. So that was the catalyst. I didn't start doing drugs until years later, you know, but that was the catalyst. That was, you know, it was two moments back to back, boom, boom. And then it, it, it kind of uh, took away my innocence, if you will. Made me feel like I was worthless. So then now I start having a, 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 a worthless perception of myself. So now my language speak, my language started changing. Give me a second, please. My language, what I mean by that, the self-talk, you know, the way that I perceived myself, it changed. So now my, my self-talk changed. Oh, you're not good enough for this. You're not, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, you light skin. You got like, because there was no follow-up conversation, even till this day with this man, because there was no follow-up conversation when children, you know, I go, when, when we go through trauma as children, the only thing that we can do is perceive it personally. We can't sit back and be like, Jim yelled at me because he stressed at his job. He doesn't normally yell, but today he was a little upset. That's why he yelled. We can't process human behavior on that level because we're on this level. You know what I mean? You know, so when something traumatic happens to us, it's like, it must be me. Mom is upset because it's me. Dad is upset because me. They're arguing because of me. They divorced because of me. You know what I mean? These commonplace uh, uh, situations in all children's lives, when these things happen with their caretakers, we can't help but say that happened because of me. So in my situation, when he abandoned me, it made me feel like he abandoned me because I wasn't good enough. Mom abandoned all four of us. So that's different. When he specifically said, <laughs> I'll salute you and leave you right here, little guy. Mind you, Eight, uh, 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 what, nine years old? Eight, nine years old? I was in third grade. So my brothers were younger than me, obviously, in, in kindergarten and, and, and in first and in second grade. So when he said, you know, he's taking them, yeah, everything about me changed. I didn't, I didn't, I, I thought maybe he, he didn't take me because I wasn't dark enough, you know, because everyone in my family is darker than me, right? My mom is, is, is very brown. Um, you know, they're West Indian and, um, you know, even though we have different pops, all, all three of them, they're, they're, they're darker than me. So I thought, I thought they didn't, I thought he didn't like me cause I was light skinned. Thought he didn't like me cause you know, you, you know, you make these things up yeah. and then you start believing these stories, you know, that man never told me he left me cause I was light skinned, but I started believing that. So everywhere I go and it's dark skinned people now or anybody that's a little shade darker than me, I'm on my defense. Now, I don't like dark-skinned people. That don't make sense. I'm Ethiopian. I mean, excuse me, I'm Nigerian. I'm 32% Nigerian. Everyone in my family that I grew up, I'm the only one that's complexion. But I started believing I wasn't good enough because of my complexion. So now growing up, I'm looking at, and I didn't realize that until I did therapy years later, brother. And all of these uh, 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 negative messages that I start telling myself, it came directly from that situation. I can pinpoint it. Hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, were, were you a, a good student in school growing up? Um, yeah, <laughs> I was always smarter than my peers. Um, 
yeah, they wanted me to go to a gifted school, but I couldn't go to a gifted school because I didn't have transportation to go. And they didn't have any um, programs back then. But they wanted me to go to a gifted school in, in um, Greenwich somewhere, some, some school. I remember that. I remember that. Um, but um, I've, I've always been, I guess you could say, um, I, I, don't, I don't know how to use the word, but I say it's smart. You know, I'm a writer, right? So when I use certain words, it's, you know, I, I perceive things a little different. But I guess you can always say I was I was smart. Yeah. Um, school's never been an issue. I, I'm going to do that short for the test and mm-hmm. knock it out. But I don't go to class. That was a situation for me. I, you know, I roam the halls and all of that. I wound up having to go into special education because I used to get in a lot of fights. That was another thing. That was another thing. I, I became violent. I became violent. I um was finding ways to empower myself. I felt like because of what happened to me, I was worthless, right? So if you if you feel worthless, now you got to do something, you know, for momentary gratification so that you can feel full. And we do that, you know what I mean? Whether it's, you know, sitting there munching on a, a whole bunch of Hershey's Kisses. You know, subconsciously, because you want to feed your face, you want to make yourself feel good, you know, and then some of us, we, we get into actual, uh, a whole lifestyle of making ourselves feel good, self-destructively with drugs and, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, but school, yeah, I was a good student. I just never went, you know, then it got to the point that I became so violent that they said, look, I don't care which grades look like, if you keep having these fights, like literally just going in a hallway and fighting people, we're going to have to put you in special education. I'm like, dude, that's for stupid people. That's how I was younger, when I was young. That was my attitude. That's for stupid people. And they was like, mm, no. <laughs> that's for people who, you know, they're, they're not on a standardized level. Let's correct your language. And in addition to that, that's for people who have issues with violence, no matter what your academic, you know, uh, 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 um, resume looks like. So they put me in special ed and I stayed in special education from seventh grade up until I dropped out of school, which was 11th grade. So the syllabus changed, obviously, right? Because now I'm in special education, you know, so seventh grade people, I'm helping them out because they're learning fourth and fifth grade work. And I never got my act together. So I did seventh, eighth and ninth grade in that school. And I went to high school as a sophomore. And in 10th, 11th grade, I dropped out. I actually got arrested, did my first prison uh, term. Uh, But I was in special education in 10th grade and in 11th grade. All because of, you know, my, my violence years ago. And then as the years go, you know, now I'm in 10th grade and I'm learning stuff that they was learning in eighth grade in the other school. I'm like, I'm definitely not going to class now. And I'm like, dude, you're bright. Like, just do what you're supposed to do and give us a, a quarter. I think they say give us one to two quarters of no violent conduct, violent conduct. And, you know, you, you could transition back into regular education, but I never did. Yeah. So why'd you drop out? Well, I corrected that statement. Um, I wound up getting arrested. Well, okay. I was still I in school. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to get into that. So I, I thought you dropped out, then got arrested. Nah, I was still going to school because I was getting. I was about that time. At that time, I was. I was. I was a. a, 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 a um, I was smoking woolers. I wasn't full blown smoking crack out of rose or a stem or a pipe or you know whatever we what call, did you all call that. it. 
Awula. Okay, so oh. I'm from New York. I'm from the Bronx, New York. Awula my family's back- in the Bronx. I'm in Jersey. My but my my mom and my my family's originally from the Bronx. Okay, so y'all probably call it coolies or primos. I don't know which y'all called it back then, but it's it's cocaine with either tobacco or with with weed. But Woo if it's banger. with weed, a woo huh? banger. banger. Okay, woo banger. Yep, woola, woo banger, primo. Uh, uh, it just it's it's always amazing just learning the different words, and that <laughs> depends. Yeah. On, that depends where the person lives at. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. my wife is from OKC, and you know, uh, uh, they call them primos. Not that she, you know, she never indulged, but they call them primos. But that's what I was doing when I was in high school. I was selling crack, and I was also smoking crack. You know, and at one point, at one point, it's, it's so weird, but at one point when crack did come out, the hustlers were also smoking it. But they wasn't smoking it out of a pipe. They crinkle it up again, woo bangers, woos. And I'd be out there with all of my hustler friends, you know what I mean? And we fresh to death, if you want to call it that, with the stupid little clothes on and the jewelry. And we're out there selling crack. And at the same time, I got a blunt in my mouth and I'm smoking crack. But I'm not smoking crack the way you're smoking crack with the pipe and all of that. I did it years later. You know what I mean? But at the time when I was in high school, that's what I was doing. And I wound up um, getting arrested for a robbery. So I was still in high school, but I was I was getting high. And I got arrested for a robbery and I did um two years. I did two years. It was a one and a half to four and a half was my first one. And I did from 90 to 92. How was it in jail? You ain't missing nothing. <laughs> you ain't missing anything, brother. Oh, 90 to 92, I was in prison. From 93 to 96, I was in prison. And from 99 to 2008, I was in prison. So the last time I was in prison, it definitely made me realize I don't, I don't need to be going back. I did 10 years straight. And of the 10 years, I did three years straight in a 23 and one lockdown. So they, they had to put me in a whole different prison, the whole prison. The only people that walked around in the prison were, were, were the dudes, you know, um, what were, were, they, they call them different names, but anyway, the dudes, that, thank you. You know what I mean? Trustees. That was one of the words I was going to use, but the trustees, like that whole prison is locked down except the small population, which are the trustees. And you know, they, they, they feed us and do stuff like that. But I was in that, I was in that prison for three years and dudes were, they, they were losing their mind, bro. Like dead serious, dead serious. I was in my, I was in my cell for three years and I only came out my cell one hour a day for three years, brother. And I, and I was, a, no, no, keep going, keep going. Bro, I had dudes around me that was in there for much longer. So I come up and, you know, you pull up in the house and it's like, you know, what you in here for, blah, 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 right? And I'm like, yo, you know, when you get out and they like, oh man, they gave me 10 years. They gave you 10 years. So if you don't mess up, then you'll do five because they gave you one and one. You and yourself for 23 hours a day by yourself. You know, you got to really go out your way to do something crazy for them to give you more time to be in there. Why would you? You know what I mean? But you have people depending on their situation. You have people that was running from people in population, you know, and they, they get down to like two, three months. They'll spit on a guard or something, get their butt whipped and then wind up getting another year, which is really six months if you do what you're supposed to. But dudes were using that as a strategy to avoid people back in regular population. Because as long as you didn't catch a brand new felony, you know what I mean? Let's say I had three years to do 
and I wind up getting time in this prison, they're going to let me go home from this prison. And if they want me in population, I'd rather do that time in this prison so I don't see anybody. So guys were, you know, using that as a strategy and other guys just, you know, they get there and they 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 start taking meds, therazine and, 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 and all that other kind of stuff, Ritalin and, you know, you're in the cell for 23 hours a day. You are faced with yourself, brother. I was just faced about to with ask, like, I was just about to ask, what is that? Because I, I literally couldn't imagine because I think I would be the guy that ended up in the mental institution because I'd probably have just a, a mental break 23 hours a day. I don't know if I could do it. Maybe you're referring to the guy that you used to be. Right? I don't think I don't think you're that weak now. And that is being weak. And I will say that. I will say that. Yes, it is. We are faced with ourselves. And I'm blessed that I even had that experience. I'm being honest. I've read a plethora of books during those three years. I was okay. I was okay Lee read before that. But by the time I got in there, you know, I, I'm definitely well read now because of that. And that's back then. So, you know, my, my, um, my, my, my taste for literature has, has definitely changed. So I read a lot, long story short. But um, I got to know myself during them three years. I, I went back to population from there. I had a couple more years to do, you know what I mean? And um, then I you know, came home in 2008. But when, you, when you're faced with yourself, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. So, you know, couldn't do much but read. You know, I read and I played chess. Very, very, very interesting. I could take a piece of paper. I could take a piece of paper and turn that piece of paper into a chess board. And then I could take pieces and I can turn those pieces into uh, uh, chess pieces. So let's say I'm in number one. I'm in cell number one and you're in cell number seven. How do we play chess if we don't even see each other face to face? Right? You got to make your board. I make my board. The 64 cubes on the chess board. 64 squares. So on my side, the lowest rank right here and then the rank on top of that represents a regular chess board. But we can't, we don't have a rook or a bishop or anything like that. So we turn them into pieces. I mean, excuse me, numbers. So that's one through 16. First rank is going to be one through eight, second rank nine through 16. So instead of me saying something like, you know, um, let's say a common move is A2 to A4. That's, a, that's, that's the left flank uh, uh, with, 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 with the pawn. Okay, so um, let's say A2 to A4 or something, right? I can't do that. So I have to say, I have to say 9 to 11. You know what I'm saying? 9 to 11. Yeah. yeah. So because because the way that the boards are gridded out, my pieces are on, on, on the board side from 1 through 16. I don't know. You play chess? Do you know chess? Yeah, no, no I know chess. Okay, so you know the rooks, the back rooks. That 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 that. The, the, yeah, the rook. I know the rook. Okay, so that rank right there, that that first rank right there, that whole line right there, from rook to rook, your left rook, okay, would be a uh, a uh, a uh, a uh, uh, one, and you go all the way to the right rook, that would be number eight, because it's eight, you know, it's eight. Yeah. And then your pawn would be nine. Your first pawn would be nine, and your pawn all the way on the other side would be sixteen. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So I'll say, you know, in according to the way that the pieces move. So that's how I play chess. But for three years, that's all I did. I read books and I played chess 
for those three years, 23 and 1. While guys around me, they were taking Ritalin, they were taking Thurzine. Of course, we were still getting visits, you know, so guys were, you know, still getting their drugs and stuff. And um, that's when I started learning about pills, pills, pills. A lot of guys were getting pills in. A lot of guys were starting to get pills in and stuff like that. Uh, 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 2005, 2006. That's when I started learning because I didn't grow up with the script culture. You know what I mean? Now it's a script culture. Everybody, you know, with scripts. And I didn't, you know, I, I sold cocaine and crack. I smoked cocaine and crack. You know, that was kind of limited with my experience. Um, but yeah, these guys, they're getting in pills and they're, they're making sure that they just stay, stay, they, they wanted to either sleep it away or stay high. And the kind of drugs that they did because of the environment, they, they're going to be, you know, going to be downers, right? So you got guys nodding off in their cell, just, just nodding off. Just not, I was like, wow, that remind me of heroin. That remind me of heroin, you know, seeing my uncle nodding off. That's why I never did heroin because I always, um, was scared of that. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that sucks being in prison for ten years. Well, a lot happens in ten years as far as technology and stuff. What was it like when you like when you got out? Was it kind of like a technology wave came at you? Great question. All right. So I was um I was in I was I tried college uh mid nineties mid nineties um Albany New York. Uh, 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 um, so I was familiar with the internet. This I was, is after you got out of jail? No, no, this is before. This is before? mid-90s. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with the internet, but you remember how it was back then. Very convoluted. You know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. 94? Yeah. No, matter of fact, 90, and then 96. No, I'm lying. Because I came home in 96. Then 98, I apologize. Uh, uh 97. I came home in 96, 97. I tried to go. I tried to go to college. And and um I wanted to go for mortuary science, actually. They told me I couldn't go for mortuary science because I had a previous felony under my belt. Um, so I went for a basic business. Uh wound up messing up anyway because I want to relapse it. Anyway, but you know, going, you know, to the um, and I didn't have a personal computer or anything, but going to the labs, it was it was interesting. But um, it really, really kicked in my ADHD back then. Because if you remember, it's clean now. You know what I mean? It's clean now. I'm talking about, I'm talking basically about uh, 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 um, user experience on the internet. That's what I'm talking about. So back then, you think, what, 97, 98? It was crazy. There was no standardization as far as ads are concerned, and, and then the pop-ups were going crazy. That's oh, back yeah, when people, people were really getting rich back then. But it was killing me because, you know, it's coming at me. I have ADHD. You know what I mean? So, like, I didn't like the internet back then. But when I came home in 2008, it was cleaned up better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was able to really understand, you know, how to start organizing information and stuff like that. So... Yeah, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't blown away. Like I never had the experience previously, you know, to coming home, but it's much better. It, it was the much better experience. Cause that's when I started writing online. Cause before I came home, that was my last hustle in prison. I wrote letters for, 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 for like over 50 people, dude, I was, I came home with money too. Like dead serious. Cause I, I was writing letters for people who were still in contact with their friends and family, but didn't necessarily know how to emote. (laughs) 
They didn't know how to deal with their feelings, let alone communicate those emotions. So I started getting writing contracts with all of these gangsters. <laughs> and everybody want to pay me in drugs. I said, bro, give me Newports, man. I don't want drugs. Give me Newports or give me food or give me money. And um, I realized I was a decent writer when I was in prison, brother. I kid you not. That is how my writing career started. And of course, it has to do with trust. You read in these people's letters to find out, well, what is your baby mama really saying? You saying she's saying this, but if I can't read the letter and then understand what she's saying and read your side and understand what you're saying, I can't communicate for you. So a couple of dudes is like, I ain't letting you read my personal stuff, Eric. Okay, cool. Then other dudes is like, man, listen, we already know you's a thorough dude, man. You ain't worrying about you gossiping about my been none of that. Here you go. And um, as a result, families uh, started being helped. Yeah, families start being helped. I'm starting to see guys going visits now with their wife and their kids crying, gangsters, coming to me crying like, yo, take this weed, man. I can't even talk to y'all like, man, I speak to you like, I just saw my son because of them letters you wrote, man. I see my son three years now, I see my son. I'm like, wow, this is powerful. This is powerful. And it's just person after person, human after human, human after human. And it's just like, dude, you are helping me with my family. I can't like... I, I'm gonna learn how to read now. I'm 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 gonna go to um you know um what they call that not e not not English as a second language but but for like basic reading for adults, mm-hmm. basic reading for adults. Because I mean I'm talking about the ten years I went in from '99 to 2008. So you know I'm in my late 20s when I went in. You know what I'm saying? I'm in my late 20s. So these guys they're in their late 20s, but these are guys who grew up in prison just like I did. But I. I, you know, I had from 90 to 92, from 93 to 96, then 99 to 2008. So from 99 to 2008 is what I'm talking about. And during that time, I'm bumping into dudes that I knew when I was a teenager that never went home, bro. That when we were teenagers, you know, guys got 30 and 40 years for having five grams of crack on them. But this guy, he got a half a, a half an ounce of cocaine on him. Got less time than, yeah. So I'm coming back to prison and I'm seeing dudes that literally they never left. They like, dude, you back with a new number? I'm like, yeah, same number, bro, 94. Like, wow, same number, 90, 90 B, 2000, whatever. I've been here since. Yeah. So, you know, so if you come in and you really don't have an education and you're you're an adolescent, you know what I'm saying? And you do all that time. It just depends on who the person is. Some is like, you know what? I'm going to get my education, do the best that I can. So by the time I get out, I'll at least have a, 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 a employable or viable skill set because they do have them in prison. I'm not going to say and act like they don't. Yes, they do have them. They have various uh, 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 trades in prison that, you know, you can come home and be employable day one. It's just what, what, what do you choose to do while you're in prison? So, yeah. What did you do once you got out of prison? What were some of the first things that you did as far as trying to get your life back on track? Oh, thanks. So when I was in prison, I was blessed to meet a young lady, wound up getting married, all right? And um, she was from Jersey, Monmouth Junction. Monmouth Junction. Oh, it's by me. It's not far from me. Serious? Oh, snap. Am I saying it right? Monmouth, Monmouth Junction. Monmouth Junction, thank you. Yeah, so that's where she's from. She is uh, half Jewish, half Irish. Her mom's 100% Jewish, and her pop's 100% Irish. I met her when I was in prison. And, um, yeah. Third year in prison. 
and she rode out. You know, she did seven years with me. We got engaged. We got married. And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go to Atlanta because I was thinking about getting back into the music business. And I knew, excuse me, you know, that, that, you know, this was it. I didn't want to go back to New York. I was threatened. I was told, uh, don't come back to New York. And um, I did. So I was like, yeah, let's go down to Atlanta. So she had to come down here like a year before I came home, set up shop, and you know, establish a life down here. And she did. I came home. We had two beautiful children. Uh, you know, I worked with the church probably three times a week. Uh, I ran the church's newsletter. It sold on three continents, Asia, Africa, and here. Because the pastor is, um, it was one of those churches. You know what I mean? With money, money. You know what I mean? So I was like, you know, I'm thinking about doing this writing thing because of the experience I just had. And the pastor was like, well, you know, here, write me, write me a 500, a 500 word article. And here's the topic. And he was like, you said you, you study the Bible, right? I like, bro, come on. I got Strong's Concordance. I got this. I got that. I said, what you want to know? So I want to actually working for, for the church <laughs> and, and writing for the newsletter. And then we started getting business because I started doing copywriting work. Because he was like, if you're good enough to do this, what are you trying to do next? I like start a business, bro. You know what I'm saying? If I could write, I could write. So people that's in the church that had their own businesses, I started writing copy for them. And it was okay. We wound up getting divorced. So, see, my children, uh, 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 my two youngest children, and my my ex wife, they they don't they they never experienced uh, uh, crackhead Jeff. I call I call crackhead Jeff. I call him crackhead Jeff. I call that guy crackhead Jeff. They never experienced crackhead Jeff. I wasn't getting high. I didn't, you know, I got divorced because of uh, me and her. You know what I mean? You meet somebody in prison, it's one thing. You come home, it's it's something different. You know what I mean? Even though it's love. And we wound up having two children, two beautiful children. So uh, we wound up getting separated. But the way she approached it, it messed with me. It messed with me. The way she approached it, it messed with me. Um, you know, the addiction was like, yo, you know, got to take care of these kids. Mind you, I, I had a very good job. I was a wood saw operator getting $26 an hour which shows you how so-called smart I am because, you know, really got to know math. You know what I mean? For the roof trusses and stuff, right? So I was doing that. That was 15 minutes away from where they were living because I moved out. But I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my schedule with my children. I'm coming home from, from work. I'm literally taking a shower. I'm eating with them, bedtime and everything. And then I'm like, all right, I love you. I'm going home. So after a couple of weeks, you know, she's like, you don't want to spend a night. I'm like, no, nah, we ain't doing that. Like, we done went through four rounds of deacons. Like <laughs> we're on this side now. We don't. We put the work in, and I told you I'm not gonna move out, move back in, and confuse my kids. We're not doing that, you know. So if you did all of this and it's emotional, and I don't know what you're trying to, now you want me to come. We ain't doing that. Said you want a divorce. We're gonna get divorced. We're gonna be co-parents. Everything beautiful. Her parents moved down from mom and f- and uh, uh, um moved on a, a, a retire a retirement community down here in Canton and built up a house. And everything, you know? And, um, yeah, I was like, we're just going to keep it regular. But, you know, it didn't go so well. And then my addiction, it, it started talking to me. And I went on a slope. And now I have two years clean and sober. I still haven't seen my children. I'm in the process of getting them back in my life. You know, they still owe about 41000 in child support arrears. You know, so... But I'm happy, I'm clean, I'm sober, I'm proud, I'm blessed. And when my children do see me again, 
They have no idea who Crackhead Jeff is. You know what I'm saying? So it's a blessing that I don't have to explain that side of me. It's a blessing, bro. They never seen anything like that. That's not why I got divorced or anything. So it's a blessing. I do have some explaining to do, of course. But it's a good thing that um, they didn't have to suffer any trauma because of my addiction, bro, at all. I am, I am, uh, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that, brother. Is there anything specific you do as far as a daily routine? You know, like some people wake up every morning and pray. Some people, they work out. Like, is there anything that you do that keeps you sober? I appreciate that. Heck yeah, man. Um, I meditate. I've been meditating for over a year now. I'm up to almost an hour a day in one sitting. You know, I have a, uh, I follow, um, I follow Bruce Lipton. I follow Dr. Joe Dispenza. That's my guy. I have all of his books and I meditate. I've been doing it for over a year. And it's very interesting because over the last three months, people who know me from social media that, you know, we follow each other have said certain things as far as growth is the word I keep hearing. Like, yeah, I'm starting to see you grow. Your content is changing. The way that you're communicating is changing. You're doing your thing. That's a good thing. What's up with that? Oh, I meditate every day for the most part. I ain't going to say, say, you know, sometimes I get off track and I'm like, oh, 30-day challenge. Let's get back on it. 30-day challenge. You know, but that practice right there has allowed me to live through my recovery. That's how I like to say it. It really has allowed me to live through because you got recovery. Right. I like to live through my recovery. I'm like, this is me for real, for real. When I make certain choices, I literally go back to the steps like, oh, step three. It's like, like, I don't care. And I'll be doing that 10, 20 years clean and sober. It's the foundation of my spiritual growth. That's what recovery is for me. But it's like meditation has put me in a certain in, in, in a certain space spiritually. Right. Because, you know, in our community, um, hmm. In our community, there, there, there are different um, perspectives about meditation. A lot of people think it's hocus pocus and it's spooky and it goes against Christianity and, you know, not at all. Just Bill sitting w, there. Bill W., I mean, if you look at the um, big book, it's kind of a religious book in a way, but Bill W. mentions meditation 10 times. I know. I know. I know. And I'm fleshing out content going forward. But of course, when it comes to new conversations, we have to inject it slowly. Just being yeah. real. You know what I mean? But I know. I promise you, I know. They're all highlighted, right? I think it's, you're about right. I don't want to contradict you. It's about 10. But um, yeah, meditate every single day when, when, when I'm on point, you know? And what I can say about my meditation practice and how it has empowered me, I can say that the person that I am like right now, right now is the best version of me that I've ever been. And it's it's the best version of me because I am the most empathetic that I've ever been toward another human being. And that's only because of prayer and meditation. Because of course I'm Christian, you know what I mean? But that's only because of prayer and meditation, bro. And when I try to speak to people in our community about meditation, they push back like, oh, what's that? I'm like, bro. How many times God mentioned it in the Bible? Like, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> he literally, and it's not prayer. <laughs> it's You have prayer and meditation. You have two different things that he tells us to do on a regular basis. In the word. In the word. Nobody really speaks about meditation because of the cultural 
stereotype behind it. Just being real. The cultural. When I say cultural, you know what I mean. Asian. And Indians yeah, you, are Asian. People immediately think like Buddhist. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's That's it's stereotype and it's not understanding. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's just like, uh, okay. You know, um, but that's what has gotten me to where I am. You know, I just try to, um, I try to never forget Crackhead Jeff. I, I don't even know how, I don't know how to like really explain it, but it's like, I choose not to forget how messed up that crack had me, bro. I choose not to forget. Some people's like, they get five years, they get, you know, because I have all kind of conversations with people who have much more time than I do, you know? And they're like, oh, no, nah, I don't, you know, I don't really you know, think about that too much no more. And I'm like, okay, cool. I respect it. You know what I mean? Maybe because I'm still fresh, young. I only got two years and a couple of months under my belt. Not even, not even, because I just celebrated two years, August 14th. Maybe I'm still fresh, you know? I don't romanticize. I ain't saying that, but I like to remember how messed up I was. I like to remember that I used to be shaking the cup in front of QT. I like to remember that, bro. I like to remember I used to defecate myself. I was so messed up on it, but we got to keep moving because I'm on a mission to get this next thing. I literally, I'm wet in my pants. It's disgusting. <laughs> I got to do it. And I never have a problem keeping it 100. Because if I, if, if, if my addiction got this low, but I choose to acknowledge it when it was here. You know what I mean? When I had the motel room and the girls and, the <laughs> and all that dumbness. And I don't remember when I was walking up and down the cater with, with doodoo in my drawers because I was so zonked out. If I don't keep it real with myself and remember that low, how I used to sleep in, 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 in dumpsters at Wendy's and, and come on, bro. In the dumpster. I'm sleeping in the dumpster. It was a safe place. I ain't got to worry about police. I ain't got to worry about robbing. I ain't got to worry about none of that. They probably gonna throw some garbage on me before the night's over, but I'm good. Like that's how bad my addiction got me. So I choose not to forget that. I choose to always tell people that because I keep it a hundred with myself. So when I'm meditating, I'm always real with me, bro. That's 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 the connection between those two thoughts right there. When I meditate, I, you know, I have different, there's different kinds of meditations. You know what I mean? You have grateful meditation, you have visualizations, which are meditations as well, right? You know, and you know, you've got different kinds of meditations, but the one meditation that I like to always do in remembering who I was, I get graphic with it to remember how I was. So then when, you know, today when I'm going down the steps with my dog and we got a sister that's sleeping, right? And I live in a decent neighborhood. This ain't really the neighborhood where you see that, but it happens in my building once in a while, right? Like we got the, you, you need an app to even get on the elevator in my building, on the doors. We got the, the code and all that. It's that kind of building, right? So, but empathy. I'm going down the steps earlier with Bello and I see a woman there sleeping. She was there the other night. Now, you know, you need anything, sis? She was like, nah, no blanket, no nothing. I was like, all right. I go down the steps today. She's there again, but she defecated. Oh. Right there, like right there. She's right here. And uh, uh, I'm coming down the steps. She's at the landing right here. And you got to come down the steps right there. And, and, and this feces there with like two napkins on it. And I'm like, I'm like you got to go, sis. We ain't even going to have a discussion. And I don't want to kick you out the building. You got to go. You know, and she started going crazy on me with the mental health. And I said, all right, I love you too, sis. I said, but you got to go. 
So you'd have a night, everything was good. I don't care about that. You know what I'm saying? I've been in that situation. You need anything? No, I'm going to go about my business. I said, you defecating in the building, sis. <sighs> you got to go. You got to go. You know, you got to go. But I empathize with her. You know, I empathize with her. I said, I don't, I'm not here to judge. And she wanted to have, I said, sis, I'm not here to judge. I got to walk my dog. You smelling like feces right now. I don't want to smell it. I said, but I, I was there. So don't think it's judgment. I said, I'm the guy. She said, oh, yeah, you're the guy from the other night. I was going to ask you for some money, but I would have got high off of it. And I was like, check yourself in or something, sis. So I'm going to go tell management to come help you. She's like, no, they're going to lock me up. I was like, they ain't going to lock you up, sis. But you can't be in the building, like, defecating. And by the time I did come back up and boom, 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 we got two, um, two cool brothers that work here, maintenance men. They were talking to her, and I went down the steps, and they were, you know, cleaning it up and you know, asking her if, if they wanted to help her get, go to Grady. Grady is the hospital here, the big hospital. That's kind of far from here. But anyway, it was like, you need to go to Grady, maybe go to the psych unit or something. And she was like, no, I'm okay. Well, that's, that's where I was at, Grady, the psych unit, actually. That's part of my story here. But it's the empathy. It's the empathy that I'm learning more and more as I meditate. Still on the same topic. As I meditate, you know, because I don't care what nobody say. I don't care who you are. I don't think there's a human being on this planet that is better than another human being. Meaning stacking humans, stacking my humanity toward your humanity. I don't care what experience I've been through. I don't care what experience you've been through. I don't care how much money I got. I don't care what I've done in this world. There's no human being better than another human being. Gandhi ain't even better than me. May he rest. He got a Nobel Peace Prize. Anybody that got a Nobel Peace Prize, they put that work in. Respect. You know what I'm saying? But they're not better than me as a human being. Don't work like that. So when I see another human being, as long as I'm good within myself, I can I can look at them as, as family. I don't care what they look like physically, what their circumstances are. Me, I'm not one to judge. I used to walk up and down with doodle in my drawers. So I'm definitely not one to judge, even though people don't know that about me. I do. So I'm not one to judge. And I also know that no matter what you got going on and what I got going on, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. So we could get that out the way and I could start seeing every person on this planet as a family member. Then it helps my it, it helps my growth and development. And that came from meditating and obviously praying and digging into the word. But it's like I dig into the word. And what do you do with the word? I meditate on the word. It's like that's 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 what he's been telling us to do for like 2000 years. You know, I gave you something. You want to communicate with me, you pray. That's what prayer is about. But if you want to dig into this word and you want it to be, you know, truly, truly living in you, you need to meditate on the scriptures. Meditating on the scriptures is not me and you having a conversation. It's not me going to church. It's not like us fellowshipping. That's me and me. That's me and me with the word that I've gotten from you, God, if we're talking just the word, you know what I mean? Or anything else. But that's one-on-one time. That's one-on-one time. And because of my meditation, I'm at a point where it's just like, we need to help each other. That's all I see. I don't care about none, none, none of that nonsense. We need to help each other. You talk about helping the next human being get past the trauma. You know what I'm saying? Help the next being, next human being uh, 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 um, develop 
develop themselves on their on their on their road of spirituality. Yeah, that's my favorite topic. We could talk about that all day. But that's what I do. I meditate and <laughs> yeah, that's my daily practice, bro. So let me ask you. Do you have any advice for people watching or listening? Like, what kind of advice? I, I got know. advice. Uh, y'all should me. watch the new. Y'all should watch the new Game of Thrones show. Now, <laughs> <laughs> House of the Dragon. I don't know, brother. What kind of advice? I could give a whole bunch of advice. I mean, what, what specifically? Um, I like to talk to the newcomers. How about that? How about that? Because yeah, I'm still a newcomer, advice right? I'm still a newcomer. newcomer. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still I'm coming from Toronto. I've only been to Brian like two and a half years, something like that. So two I and have. Been... Thank you, sir. Um, Heck yeah, yeah. Heck yeah, heck yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I'll be considering myself a newcomer f- up until probably ten years, to be honest. And I'm dead serious. Yeah, I will consider myself a newcomer up until probably a decade under my belt, bro. Because I got a lot. I got. A lot. A lot, a lot of rewiring to do, and even though you know I do what I do, you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about I, I know where I want to be, so I know how much work I have to put in on myself. So I have to put that pressure on myself. So for me, I'm like, okay, next year would I consider myself a newcomer? Thirty six months clean and sober? Mm, yeah, for me. You know, five years, sixty months clean and sober? Mm, yeah, for me. So for me, I'm going to still consider myself a newcomer, you know, for some time, you know, but, but to the newcomer, but I just got off the phone. I just got off the phone with a woman that I connected with last night, last night on LinkedIn, 500 plus connections, all of the certifications, the master's degree was an executive director of our own recovery center organization. And, you know, senators know her all this see it right there on her social media but I'm on the phone with this woman for an hour because she relapsed and while I'm on the phone with her for an hour last night she was high off meth I only stayed on the phone with her because she was honest with me you honest with me you, we good you know but I asked her I could tell she was high I asked her sis, let me ask you something we've been on the phone for like a half hour now when last time you got high she was like oh about, about 20 minutes ago I said alright let's finish talking she said oh okay and if she had lied to me, I would have got off the phone, be honest. You know what I'm saying? Don't waste my time. <laughs> I'm literally on the phone with you. I don't know you, you know, but you sent me a distress signal. That sign, you know, the bat signal came up. You know, I connected with her and she was like, I'm going through some stuff. So I was like, call me. Ain't got to talk about now. Call me. Nine times out of ten, people don't call. And you know how that go. Yeah. You've been there before. How many times you said, God, help me out, man. And then he provides something and then you run. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing, right? But, you know, she actually called and we spoke and um, come to find out um, her addiction got her real messed up right now, man. This is for the newcomers. Her addiction got her messed up right now. This addiction is so cunning and baffling. And I actually just posted this on Sober Slogans as well as on my Jeff Vickers uh, 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 profile on Facebook in case anybody want to check it out going forward. But the woman has the meeting being held seven days a week, two blocks away from her. And because of her shame and her pride, because of the status that she had, she ain't going to a meeting. And she on the phone with me smoking meth and telling me, I got to stop this. I got to stop this. 
And I'm like, you got to stop it, sis. And you know it ain't no judgment. I'm on the phone with you because you kept it 100. Because if she would have lied and be like, oh, I ain't get high in two, three days, I would have hung up. Like, come on, I ain't got time for that. I know you high. <laughs> you know what I mean? But she kept it 100. And because going back to my, you know, practices of prayer, meditation, staying in the word, staying true to who I am, which is a human being, straight up. And it doesn't hurt him from New York, right? I've seen some hard times, so I know how to deal with people now that I'm on the other side. She is still getting high because of shame and guilt and pride. Her addiction is using, repeat this, her addiction is using her recovery accomplishments against her. That's addiction for you. Her addiction is like, yo, you know you can't go to a meet. You can't tell nobody you relapse. You crazy? You at your own center. You you can't tell nobody you, you relapsed. You can't go to that meeting two blocks away. You was the queen of recovery, sis. Come on, just keep getting high. We'll figure it out. Addiction is cunning and baffling, bruh. For the newcomers, step one. Never forget step one. We admitted that we were powerless over our lives. We admitted that we were powerless over addiction and our lives have become unmanageable. That's step one for a reason. And I told the sister before we got off the phone, I said, you know, ain't no telling when you're going to start step one again. You got to start it again. You got to start it again. We admit that we were powerless over our addiction and our lives have become unmanageable. When we come to that realization and we keep it 100 with ourselves right then and there, it's impossible to get high. It's impossible for me to get high if I'm always remembering Crackhead Jeff. And that's why I do it. I ain't Crackhead Jeff right now. You see how I'm living? A regular life. A beautiful, blessed, regular life. Crackhead Jeff didn't even have a dog. I would have sold him. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I would have had him. Yeah. Come on. Would, you know, everything that's going on in my life. Crackhead Jeff. Okay. So for me, it's remembering how crazy that addiction got me. For me, because I put in some time over 30 years of getting high, over 30 years of lying to myself about a situation that happened with me and my stepdad. Me lying to myself, saying that my stepdad left me because I was worth nothing. And mom probably left me because of that too. But I know it's really drugs, but maybe it's not really drugs. But definitely this guy left me because I'm not worthy. And for 30 odd years, I lied to myself and said that. So for the newcomer, whatever your trauma is, if you are in recovery, I don't care what nobody say. As long as you remember how low your addiction got you, I don't think you're going to get high. And I'm sitting there. I had an argument with my wife. She getting on my daggone nerves. Shoot. I need to go get high. <laughs> nah, I'm good. Because <laughs> I think about Crackhead Jeff every day. <laughs> you know, I don't have to search through the annals of my memory you know what I mean? To, to weigh and judge whether my present day situation is that bad that I need to smoke crack again. I don't have to weigh and judge it. I think about crackhead Jeff all the time. 
There's nothing. My worst case scenario as a clean and sober person is always going to be better than my worst case scenario as crackhead Jeff, bro. I don't care. I was a crackhead. So, you know, and there's been times where, you know, everybody's story and, you know, if you're getting high, there's this, there's a journey. Sometimes you down, sometimes you up, so-called. You know what I mean? So there was times I was so-called up with being a crackhead. <laughs> Not on the streets, had a motel room for, you know, a couple of months and, okay, cool. But even in that so-called best case crackhead situation, it doesn't beat my worst case situation as, as Jeff Vickers, recovery advocate, Jeff Vickers, author, Jeff Vickers, father, Jeff Vickers, husband. It, it, you, you know what I'm saying? So to the newcomer, my, my, my message is never forget where you came from. Never forget where you came from. If, if you're in a situation and you're in recovery, use your tools. Use your tools. We have a book. We have a space that we can go so that we can speak to other people who's in our situation. We have mentors in that space. We have we have everything we need within recovery, bro. Like that's serious. There's nothing, there's nothing out there that if I need it, that I can't get it in recovery. Nothing. Nothing. And what I'm learning over and over again is when we in recovery get to the point where life is okay here and I relapsed here. What happened? Self-talk starts changing. Self-talk starts changing. Which today I'm about my thing and no, I didn't get that job or whatever the situation might be. Don't worry about it. You great, baby. You blessed. You blessed. You got two years and change in your belt cleaning sober. Everything good. You know that. It, 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 it segues from having thoughts like that to, like, I ain't get that job. Don't worry, baby. You blessed. But, but you know, man, you, you ain't getting no jobs, man. Or maybe, and then, you know, it goes down to maybe you ain't getting a job because of this. Maybe, you know, and the self-talk changes until it gets to the point it degrades and, and then we start thinking about getting high. That first thought, back of the mind. And we don't address that. And we don't use our tools. And we don't remember, ooh, if I get high one time, ain't no telling where I'm going to go. Because I remember where I've been. Had the woman that I was on the phone with last night, again, brother, I'm talking about you going on this woman's LinkedIn. Her whole, is like this much a number of certifications. So she don't put the work in academically. She put the work in uh, 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 professionally because she also worked in the space. She didn't put the work in spiritually. And that's not judgment. We had a conversation. She didn't put the work in spiritually. Newcomers, I don't care what a person, like, I don't care what it looks like on the outside. Person could be going to a million meetings, all of the conventions and all the friends, all that, the pictures on Facebook, all that. No, 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 no. If you are not feeding yourself spiritually with this program is it's you're gonna you're gonna hit a wall every single person that i've ever heard that put work in and then they want to relapse oh i had 15 years i had 10 years i had and then they they speak about it there's messages there's just certain messages i get over and over again and the message is i stopped feeding myself spiritually straight up every single person says it in one way or another I stopped feeding myself spiritually. I had 15 sponsees and I worked at a treatment facility and I was doing all this, doing all that. I wound up getting burnt out on recovery. You heard that before? You ever yeah. heard anybody say that? Yeah. I, I don't understand the terminology, right? 
I understand it, but I don't understand it. You know what I mean? I got burnt out on recovery. That's because you 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 provided service to others more than you provided service to yourself. But here's the deal. If you live a life of service, it's different than providing service. It's different. I live a life of service. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be putting out content in one way or another, okay, for our community. That's a life of service. A lot of it's going to be free. Some of it's going to be paid. That's a life of service. What I will not do is live a life of providing services. That's a difference. If I live a life of providing services, I'm a caretaker. I'm a codependent. I don't brought all of that into a professional environment, but people don't really see it. But that's me because I haven't worked on myself in those areas. But now I'm using that in a professional environment. Three days go, th- th- three years go by, and I'm sitting there with a crack pipe in my hand. How'd I get hit? You forgot who the first person is. You forgot who the first person is. You waking up every day trying to act like, you know, you want to put everybody on your shoulders and you going out there doing all that for them. You ain't doing what you're supposed to be doing for yourself on a daily basis. So now you got 15 certifications on your wall and you can call up just about anybody in the recovery community, but you ain't going to do that because you in the closet somewhere smoking crap. And you ain't coming out because you're guilty now. Now you feel guilty and you feel shameful now. Come on. Newcomers, never forget your story. Never forget how low that your drug of choice took you. Because if you always remember how low your drug of choice took you, you won't go back there, bro. No matter how low you feel as a person in recovery. I'm sorry, bro. No matter how low, bro, I'm on the outs with my mom right now. I'm not going to get into all that. I'm on the outs with my mom right now. Worst case scenario for me is I lost a couple of pounds. This ain't my normal weight. When I'm stressed out, I don't eat. And again, I'm a recovery advocate, so I keep it 100. All right? I'm down with weight right now because I barely eat when I'm stressed out. And I'm stressed out because me and my mom having a strange relationship right now. But I ain't going to smoke no crack. My mom got 20 years clean and sober. I got two years clean and sober. And we ain't talking right now because she violated straight up. All right. But I ain't going to smoke no crack. Strength. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I I feel you. Absolutely. It's not. It's it's not not, an option. Exactly. It's not going to solve anything. It's definitely not an option. It just, it just doesn't do anything except negative consequences. Bro, it's like, why would you even want to repeat history? Especially you got, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and and, and I am just blessed that people trust me. Like, that's serious, bro. I am blessed that people trust me enough to have these kind of conversations. You know what I'm saying? Because I can speak about the story, but I would never identify. We don't do that. You know what I'm saying? But, like, and again, (laughs) this this, this woman, like, she put that work in. And I'm like, sis, why didn't you reach out? Why didn't you reach out when your when your when your self talk changed? And she was like, "I like you so much. You don't have any certifications." So now I live this. I don't need a certification to know language. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. that, that, that's my point. Why didn't you reach out when your self talk changed? 
Because when we're on top of the world in here, we talk a different way. When we feeling, we talk a different way. So if you're feeling like this and you're talking like that, and then you start seeing, because if you're in recovery and as you level up, you know how this goes. For me, the pressure that I put on myself is to make sure that I'm much more self-aware these days than I was any other time in the past. And that's because of, you know, what I'm doing these days in, 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 in the public space. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm more conscientious, not just in a situation like this. I'm talking about in real life. Because, you know, these micro habits, as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, the change is going to be sustainable. It's going to be sustainable. So for me, I'm just more on point with the choices that I make. So I never go back. So I asked the sister, I was like, when your self-talk, when it stopped, you know, when, when, when your self-talk changed was the time that you were supposed to reach out. When you start talking to yourself like you was a crackhead, when you ain't been a crackhead in 15 years, but now you're starting to talk to yourself like that, that is pre-relapse mode, bro. That's relapse mode, bro. That's relapse mode, and people don't reach out during that time. I'm starting to look at myself again like, you know, back when I was getting high. I'm starting to talk to myself about myself like back when I was getting high. Ooh, we can arrest that right now. What do we need to do before you actually get high? Then you get high and it's shame. And of course, you're not going to speak to anybody if you done had all these daggone accolades in the community. You, you know what I'm saying? That's like mm-hmm. the mayor coming out. That's like the mayor sitting there. I'm arresting everybody that got crack on him. And then he get arrested for smoking crack. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. But that's my message to the newcomer. There's a few, you know, there's a few. I, I, I believe that. If you get to the point where your self-talk changes from positive to negative is when you should reach out to somebody. That is so critical because if you don't, then what's going to happen? The thoughts, they compound. Come on. That monster gets louder, bro. You're not addressing the elephant in the room. Your addiction has got you thinking like a crackhead now and you ain't talking to nobody. You got everybody around you, but you ain't saying, you know what? I just had a thought about me being a crackhead, Jim. I ain't calling Jim up with a crack pipe in my hand saying, Jim, I fucked up. No, I just had a thought. Talking to myself the way I used to about uh, 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 when I when I used to uh, um, when I was an active addict. That's when you start the conversation. That's when it's like, well, why did your thought? Because that's all it is. Why did your thought move from thinking that you're great to thinking that you're a crackhead? Let's talk about that. Promise you, in my humble opinion, based on these people that I speak to, that um, and I asked, I said, "Do you think if you'd have spoke to someone at that stage, you would have relapsed?" You said, "Hell no." And every person I ask, I ask specific questions for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Over and over, and I love speaking about relapse. A lot of people, oh, wait, what? <laughs> That's funny to me. You know, a lot of people don't want to talk about relapse. We need to be talking about it. When is the pertinent time for us to be talking to other people so we don't actually pick up? You lose when you pick up. You lose. You don't lose when you think about it. You don't lose when you romanticize. Okay? We still have to clean up things in our brain. You lose when you pick up. Game's over, bro. I'm sorry. Game's over. Take your quarter off of the arcade game. Someone else is playing next. Game over, bro. Anytime before then, you always in the game. It's always an opportunity. Yo, Jim, I'm going through it, bro. 
Remember I told you about the situation with me and my mom, bro? I'm going through it, bro. I feel like getting high right now, but I'm on the phone with you, bro. Give me something, bro. I'm not losing. I didn't lose. And it's oh, free. And it's free. And it's free, bro. And it's free. We ain't never going to charge for a helping hand. <laughs> and it's free. You know? So, let, let me ask you this, because you got a lot going on nowadays. How do people get in touch with you? Tell us about your website you. and stuff like that. Awesome, awesome. Um, so SoberSlogans.com. Is this video as well or is it just audio? No, this is going to be video on YouTube. Oh, it is video, and right? Spotify, so well. Spotify, has well. video. Spotify also has some video. Yeah, there you go. Get get as close as possible. You're I forgot that I have my little, thing. Lift it up a little. Uh, I'm going to send you a copy anyway. I don't know why you ain't get a copy. Yeah. You can't really see it. Don't worry about that. You can't really see it. I'll send you if you want to, you know, send a picture with it, whatever. But um, SoberSlogans.com. Sober. I mean, <laughs> slogans, because that's my brand. I'm heavy into positive affirmations, visualizations, and manifestations. And it's Sober Slogans, Recovery Models We Love. That's the first book. SoberSlogans.com is the website. Sober Slogans on Facebook. Everywhere except I'm on everywhere except Twitter with the brand, but I am Jeff Vickers. Would love for you to um follow me on on, on Facebook, you know, and then you can you can uh get into my ecosystem as far as my content. My content is heavily heavily geared toward newcomers, just like this conversation. So that's how y'all could get in contact with me. SoberSlogans.com. Got a couple of blog posts just starting off. Would love for you guys to check out that blog post right there. I don't know what else to say. No, that's great. You're doing good things in the community, giving back, right? Step we have to. We have. Yo, it's so crazy that you mentioned that, right? Because I literally would say, I said, you know, if anything, step 12 is a call to action for everyone to be a recovery advocate in one way or another, bro. And I'm not talking about, oh, you know, I got a website and I'm doing all this. I'm talking about, no. I'm in recovery and I got other people in recovery. Maybe I could post something real cool on Facebook in case somebody need to hear it. That's sharing a message. That's recovery. That's recovery advocacy. We, you know, there's different levels to this thing right here, but I like that you mentioned step 12 because I just mentioned that to somebody that's a call to action for you to share your experience. Or we wouldn't be where we at right now. If it wasn't for that first group with Bill W, huh? Yeah. No, he wouldn't. Absolutely not. I've said this before where kind of he was kind of a rock star because there was no such thing as support groups for addicts for him. It did not exist. It was mm-hmm. his idea and his idea alone. Originally, he had a help from a lot of people, but that kind of was his bait, you know? Mm-hmm. Of as course. Far as, yeah. Yep. And if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for them, then we wouldn't have N.A., because Jimmy K, Jimmy K wouldn't have came across AA to start NA. Exactly. Or Overeaters Anonymous, uh, Cocaine or, Anonymous, or, Marijuana Anonymous. They're all or, 12-step. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all more and more and more. So From many that 12-step one, programs. Bruh. Like, that's how beautiful it is, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I bump into people. I'm in CA. What the heck? Oh, cocaine. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I probably should be in there, too. <laughs> I probably should be in that one too. Oh, I'm in GA. What the heck? Gambling. Oh, no, nah, I like my little bit of money. I don't like gambling, but it's a blessing. That, but it's a blessing that we have these pathways. That's the blessing. We have these pathways that, you know, if enough 
people within society have gone through a traumatic experience and enough people, you know, because of that experience, they perpetuate, uh, 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 um, they perpetuate certain kind of behaviors and, 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 and mindsets. We have a community here. There's enough people, you know what I'm saying? Been through trauma, chose to use this substance right here or this behavior right here. Now they're going through a 12 step. We have a community, whether they're gambling, whether they like to have sex more than whether they use sex, you know, whether they use gambling, whether they use food, use drugs, use, use that kind of drug and that kind of drug. And then we have all of these different communities and these pathways based on being able to speak to the different demographics trauma and i just think that's beautiful i just think that's beautiful bro and that i mean come on now it started from bill w and his crew how can we not love it and we're just continuing to wave the flag that's all we're doing bro i've learned so much from them i learned priceless information from i remember at first because i'm agnostic so the first thing i said to myself was oh here we go to god stuff blah 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 but then I saw those magic words, guys who understood him. And I realized I can have my own version, my own higher power, right. et cetera. Beautiful. Um, and then I saw the section for agnostics. I was like, okay, I get it now. I was yeah. like, so I can I can buy into that. But it's not even that, because you don't have to necessarily buy into the higher power thing. But also, it's just when you read about some of the stuff he writes, you're just like, oh, I've done that. I've done this. I've done et cetera go on forever so much stuff and we're talking about this is in the 50s just for context 1939 it was written it was written wait wait i said the 50 oh i'm thinking i'm thinking oh which mccallum you're 100 right this is in it was in 39 but it really started gaining traction like around 43 44 depending on the story whatever yeah that's wikipedia knowledge whatever but yeah thank you for helping me out so this is in the 30s and 40s and this knowledge is still applicable, family. I'm speaking to your community. And this yeah. knowledge is still applicable, family. And now we have people on every continent on this planet that has access to a fellowship based on what, what that man wrote. How can you not love that? Yep. Mm. So did you have anything else you want to add in? Um. Hmm. I, I, I would I would advise your community to check out meditating. Okay. I would advise your community to check out, you know, meditating. And again, you're gonna have all kinds here, right? I'm 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 I um you're agnostic. I'm a believer. You might have atheists in your group as well. You know what I'm saying? So it has nothing to do with religion. Just you know, throwing that out there. It has nothing to do with religion, you know, but um yeah, send a, sit sit under a tree one day for like 20 minutes and block the world out and just, you know, be grateful for your existence. That's called meditating, believe it or not. But and the I don't know what else is, to say. I'm a, I'm a meditator also. And the secret is people, the most common thing I personally hear is when people go, I can't meditate because a flood of thoughts come into my head. That's supposed to happen. Yeah. So your job is not to feel those thoughts the way you traditionally feel them. It's to observe those thoughts. Indeed. Indeed. And dissect it and go, well, okay, boom, I got a thought. If it's unpleasant, why is it unpleasant? Why do you think it came into your mind? What can you do about it in the present moment? 
look, is there anything you can do based on his past? So it's like nothing I can do based on his past. I mm. do have a choice of what I want to do in the present moment. I do have a choice if I'm going to let this bother me or not. So you kind of got to dissect all that stuff. And you could start off with two minutes. Literally set a timer on your phone and do two minutes. And then the next week, do five minutes. You know, you do it daily, but every week you build up. Mm -hmm. and Progress a couple of more minutes. minutes yep. A half hour day, and it's good. Yeah. Like my wife, oh, jump up. Can't do it, babe. Too many thoughts. Exactly, babe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I just, I just got mm -mm, just too much going on. I love you. Just too much going on. I just, okay. And then other times she's like, Arr! 15 minutes, you know, and, you know, she'll probably sit there for about 10 minutes. It took about 15 minutes to get through the clutter. You know what I mean? It's the clutter. We know that monkey mind clutter, whatever. Oh, yeah, right? monkey mind, yep. You know what I mean? But that that's the beautiful part of it. That's the breakthrough. You have to sit there long enough for the clutter to go away. Yeah. And you ain't supposed to be in the clutter. This is what I do with the clutter. I sit back and watch it. Like you said, we need to observe our thoughts so that we can introspect. But that's what you do. The thoughts come up, you observe it. You don't have to uh, 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 embrace every thought. And the only way that we embrace a thought is emotionally. You know what I mean? And anything that you feel is just um end product of a thought. You know? And when we start, like, really understanding it, then we're like, hold up. I really can master my emotions. And nobody, you know, got power over my emotions. All right, cool. I can do this. But we have to sit with ourselves long enough <laughs> to master that. We know more about LeBron James and the Jay-Z's discography and, you know, all these... This person's what? Hank Aaron. He ain't even allowed no more. But I can tell you Hank Aaron's whole, but I can't tell you nothing about myself. You know, so that's what meditating is about. You know what I mean? For us to get to know ourselves. And the way that I use it is basically I use it to get to know myself so I could be a better version for my, my, my family. Like, really? That's, that's just where I'm at. That's just where I'm at. A couple of my people was just like, stop sending me these. Because I got a new thing now. People that like I'm really, really close to. I send them like certain things about me. Do you observe this? Do you observe that? Like you too self-conscious. But it's really not about that. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's, it's, it's really about using other people's perception of me to tweak certain things about myself. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When you do it. In, in, in a healthy space. Like if I was to ask you after we got to know each other and probably like six months go by and I, you know, send you, you know, hey, am I, am I, am I still, you know, kind of like cursing too much? Cause I still curse. <laughs> I still curse a little bit, right? But you know, because I trust your opinion of me and I know ain't nothing but love, I'll send you something like, how am I doing with my cursing? Hold me accountable. Like, yeah, have you seen it? You know, so I send that to people that I know to get back, I don't know, an opinion poll, I guess, about certain characteristics. From people that, you know, that I trust and I know that love me. And I'm like, yeah, you're still doing this. Yeah, you're still doing that. So, But all it's about is it's just growth and development for me. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'll be 50 years old in a couple of months. I have two years clean and sober. And for the first time in my life, and mind you, remember what I said? When I came home from prison and I built the family up with my ex-wife, I wasn't getting high. It was church. It was all that. You know, it was all that. Okay, cool. But... That's great, man. This is the first time that I have ever been 
fulfilled in my life. And I, this is the first time where I feel like I'm living. Like dead serious. And then I ain't got no spectacular so-called life. You know what I'm saying? So-called spectacular life, if you want to add all of the commercialism into it. Ain't no commercialism in my life. But there's a lot of growth and development and, and emotional uh, and spiritual maturity in my life. One last message for the newcomers. My message to the newcomers is don't lie to the person in the mirror, family. And I appreciate y'all allowing me to just run my mouth. I'm Jeff Vickers, grateful person in recovery. But that is my, that's my, that's my message. That's my message to the newcomers. Don't lie to the person in the mirror. That's the last one. All right, my man. I appreciate that. I really appreciate you doing the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. No, absolutely a pleasure today. Thank you so much again. And uh, just sit tight for me. For everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, oh, as well as TikTok. And then you can also check us out on our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of free resources and literature. So that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed. And until next time.